Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. The idea of food as medicine is as old as food itself, but only recently has the mainstream U.S. healthcare system begun to take notice and action, as community-directed efforts to prevent, manage, and treat diet-related illnesses through nutrition education and more equitable access to healthy food generate positive health outcomes and reduced health costs. Recent research from Tufts University, Duke University, and the University of Texas demonstrates the effectiveness of produce prescription programs at helping participants improve their blood pressure and sugar levels and reduce food insecurity as do still novel partnerships between insurance providers and companies like Performance Kitchen and Farmbox Direct that aim to use healthy food to prevent more expensive medical treatments for diet-related chronic diseases. In an effort to accelerate more widespread adoption of local efforts to leverage food as medicine, the Rockefeller Foundation recently invested $4.6 million in grants that Devin Claytel, vice president of the Rockefeller Foundation's Food Initiative, says she hopes will bridge gaps between the millions of food insecure patients in the U.S. and effective health care. The investment, which is only a fraction of the more than $8 billion in commitments to the food as medicine movement made this summer during the White House Conference on Hunger, Nutrition, and Health, also helped pave the way for new business opportunities for food and beverage manufacturers. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Claytel and Diana Johnson, the program officer for the Food Initiative at the Rockefeller Foundation, discuss why investing in food as medicine is necessary and timely, and the extent of the challenges and opportunities for players in the space. They also highlight programs already moving the needle and share next steps for food industry stakeholders at every level to learn more and get involved. So the idea of food as medicine may sound new to many Americans or even elicit eye-rolling from some who, both rightly and wrongly, consider the U.S. food system and typical American diet as a major contributor to the obesity epidemic and diet-related chronic disease. But Claytel explains that promoting equitable access to healthy food flips this narrative and positions the food system as part of the solution something she notes indigenous and native cultures have always practiced and which has been promoted for decades in the U.S. by local community programs and advocates. You know, the food system is so intricately connected to a lot of the issues that matter most to us and and lots of other households and leaders around the world, um, the environment, human health, and equity. And unfortunately, right now, you know, some of the biggest environmental challenges we face are directly connected to our food system. Food and agriculture is a major driver of land loss, for example, and contributor to greenhouse gases and freshwater use. Um, poor diet is the leading risk factor for disease and death all around the world, and it's a leading driver for poor health and healthcare costs here in the United States. And then from an equity perspective, um, you know, two-thirds of people living in extreme poverty are agricultural workers or farmers and their families. And so you can see across the board, um, we just have a lot of opportunity to, I think, transform the food system for something that is driving poor outcomes and in some cases costs related to these key issues to a system that is really promoting 
um, climate positive outcomes, pr promoting uh, nature and environmental um, benefits, promoting human health, and delivering equity for producers and consumers. So we see the negative side of the situation today, but we also see a, a huge potential if we're able to transform the food system in ways that um, we feel really optimistic about. To drive that transformation, the concept of food as medicine must offer a clear benefit to all stakeholders, including those who provide and pay for the food. For Claytel, that means clearly defining food as medicine within the context of the existing healthcare system. For the Rockefeller Foundation, when we think about food as medicine, we are specifically thinking about the ways in which food and nutrition benefits and programs can be integrated into healthcare delivery. So I know the kind of phrase food as medicine can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, um, but for us it's really about using the healthcare system, including healthcare dollars, to provide access to healthy foods for patients that need them and might not be able to access them on their own, and sort of supplementing those programs with things like food and nutrition education and, and other supportive programming. And I think that's an idea that has been around quite a long time but only very recently are we starting to see the sort of food and health systems coming together to really try to provide tools to providers like doctors and dietitians and, and health insurance companies to be able to actually um, share those tools with their patients and be able to improve patient diets. We see a lot of opportunity at the state and national level for those early conversations to really grow into national scale programs and a national movement where the healthcare system is a great ally in promoting a good food system and promoting healthy diets for patients. So um, even though it's an idea that's been around for quite a while, I think we're just starting to see real movement and real scale behind, behind some of those programs. Here in the United States, though, there were innovators like Wholesome Wave um, has been experimenting with things like produce prescriptions for you know, several decades now in local communities and providing patients who might be struggling with access to healthy food and seeing poor health com outcomes because of their diet um, to be able to spend additional dollars at farmers markets and other, and other food stores. So that idea and really communities serving communities, I think, has been around for quite a while. Um, I think it's just recently, over the last several years, that we're starting to really see that idea be embraced by larger health systems and by large health insurers, and that it's recently starting to really hit the radar of policymakers. Johnson echoed this sentiment, noting the recent boost to the movement provided by the White House. During the White House conference um, in late September, we were excited to see that that very thing, integrating nutrition into healthcare, is a pillar of the White House's national food strategy. Uh, and so it's, it's a movement that's been building, and it's also an excellent time to really go, to go deep in these investments. Claytel explained the time is right to integrate food as medicine into the U.S. healthcare system because the cost of diet-related disease has reached a tipping point, and healthcare providers are increasingly open to the idea of social determinants of health. Unfortunately, the cost of diet-related disease continues to rise here in the United States, and the economic burden of that, both on families and communities, and disproportionately communities and families of color in this country, but also on healthcare providers and health systems, um, 
the economic cost of that has really become such a burden that I think it's gotten more and more attention. And then we've also seen really interesting changes in the healthcare system itself. Um, much more interest in recent years on social determinants of health, like food security, housing, and transportation. Uh, much more of a shift towards values-based care. And I think from a healthcare perspective, those shifts have kind of opened the door to conversations that you know food system advocates have been have been having for a bit longer, which is how do we really increase equitable access to healthy food? Um, I think those are a couple of the shifts that have have contributed to the transition. To help accelerate the transition, the Rockefeller Foundation late last fall committed $4.6 million in grants for equitable and community-directed approaches to prevent, manage, and treat diet-related illness in the United States through the advancement of food as medicine interventions. Johnson explains that the recipients are diverse and will help promote food as medicine from several angles. We made eight grants this year in support of food as medicine. And one of the grantees, as you mentioned, was Wholesome Weight. They've been doing pro-prescription programs for over 15 years and have supported uh, multiple organizations to implement those programs in their communities. Uh, they have developed a collaborative called the National Produce Prescription Collaborative, which uh, is made up of se- several of these program operators across the country. And their goal as, a, as the MPPC for short is to make produce prescriptions uh, a covered benefit for all eligible patients covered by Medicaid and Medicare. And we're excited to support MPPC uh, through grant support um, given their national platform and the specific avenues they see to expand these programs for uh, larger groups of Americans across the country. Uh, and so they, they're just an excellent example of a group that has a national voice but is also really attuned to local community needs. We've also awarded a grant to uh, different groups that are also working deeply in partnership with their communities uh, and lifting up lived experience. Uh, we provided a grant to a group called Deep Medicine Circle which is uh, a group that is uh, focused on recognizing farmers as health stewards and focused on advancing a food system that's based in healing and care. And so through grant support from us, they will be developing a farming is medicine program. And it's focused on looking at how food can support health, but also how food can be grown using indigenous foodways uh, to support both soil and water health. Uh, and they'll be evaluating that program, looking at the program and participant outcomes, and through using indigenous ways of storytelling, using activity journals and monthly reflective practices. Uh, and so we think this, these types of approaches, um, using indigenous ways of knowing and, and a lens of, of viewing food as medicine is also a really important way to, to elevate that work. And um, I'll just mention one more grantee. Uh, we are supporting a group called Adelante Mujeres, which translates to Women, women Rise Up. And their mission is to promote uh, and support Latina women and girls and into leadership roles. And they also do a lot of health equity and food and nutrition work. And they have stood up a produce prescription program uh, in the community in Oregon that supports local farmers markets. And so, again, it's, 
in partnership with the healthcare uh, group in Oregon, but also supports the local food system. So it's a real integration of food and health systems together with a culturally competent lens. And we also support work to influence policy at the federal level and at the state level to ensure that these programs will have ongoing support, um, supportive policies and financial resources. And um, so there were a few grantees that we announced in the most recent wave of grants that, that lead that really important work, um, including groups from Harvard University and Tufts and a group called the Health Initiative. Um, and we're also looking at how do we build the infrastructure so that if we're able to scale these programs successfully from you know, operating at a few farmers markets to operating in a way that serves all American households that need them, um, what kind of tools and systems do we need to do that? And so another of our grantees in this, in this cohort about FRESH has some really interesting um, systems in terms of being able to support um, a debit card actually that patients can use at stores to participate in these programs. And so we're excited to support those innovations as well. To effectively scale these and similar programs, Clitel argues policymakers that allow for reimbursement for Medicare and Medicaid, as well as private insurers, will be essential. She explained turbocharging these changes and adoptions is a key focus of the Rockefeller Foundation, which recently teamed with Kroger and the American Heart Association to donate $250 million to National Research Initiative to support policy development. In terms of policies, you know, from the Rockefeller Foundation's perspective, a key piece of ensuring that these programs are scalable and sustainable is making sure that they are reimbursable, that we have pathways to reimbursement, meaning that health insurance companies and health systems can provide these services and these programs to patients and use and cover them consider them a covered medical benefit, just the same way that when you go to the doctor and you um, might go to get an x-ray or go to get a pharmaceutical prescription, that those health benefits are covered by either a public or private insurance company. And the reason that that reimbursement pathway piece is so important is um, without them, we will not be able to offer these programs to the large number of patients that we believe need them, and we won't candidly really be able to integrate them into healthcare delivery the way that lots of other um, services for sickness and, and, and preventative care are integrated. And so getting to that place, getting to a place where a doctor could write a purchase prescription or offer a medically tailored meal and consider it a covered benefit will require a number of regulatory and policy changes. Um, and one of the things we focus on and are focused on in particular is um, making those changes so that Medicaid and Medicare, which of course are our two largest public insurance programs here in the United States, um, will cover these programs. And so I think from a policy perspective, that's kind of the big long-term win that a lot of us are striving for. You know, there are a number of other policies and regulations that, are, that can be supportive of scaling this work. Um, but one key component of success of sort of getting to policy change is going to be generating really great evidence that these programs work and making sure that the evidence that we have um, looks at the ways in which these programs can improve health outcomes for patients, 
can help to mitigate healthcare costs for health systems and insurance companies, can reach all the different kinds of patient communities and are equitable in the way that they are provided. Um, you know, we hope that they'll have benefits to patient families in some cases. And gathering all the data and evidence on, on all these programs um, is one of the real priorities of the foundation and the number of our partners and, um, and relates to a, a commitment that we actually made at the White House conference in September alongside partners from the American Heart Association and Kroger to try to mobilize a large amount of funding and really get to a place where we have a national research initiative looking at this food as medicine space that can generate definitive evidence that we can then take to policymakers and take to insurance companies and say, look, we know the best versions of these programs work really well for these kinds of patients, and that's why we need the policy change, we need the reimbursement um, pathway, we need the systems at scale to, to be able to offer these to patients. So one of our key areas of focus is, is generating that better evidence um, that we think is going to be really influential in the, in the policy sphere as we go forward. We are hoping that between the three inaugural partners and, and a growing set of partners that we will be able to do some support, some large-scale studies of these programs. Many of the studies to date have had really positive signals in terms of the benefits of programs like medically tailored meals and produce prescriptions on things like fruit and vegetable consumption and food security status and um, important health metrics like blood pressure and body mass index and um, HbA1c, which is kind of a marker for diabetes. We, we see really great early signals on all those things from a lot of the studies that have already been done and published, and there's amazing work out there. And yet, we continue to get questions from policymakers and insurance companies and others um, that want more detail, want more evidence about certain aspects of the program, um, want sort of more robust studies to be done on a larger scale or with more randomized control um, trials integrated. And so part of what this platform is really trying to do is to mobilize a large amount of resources to do those studies in the coming years you know, with intentionality and expert design and also some urgency because we see the need for this um, quite strongly and um, be able to come out with evidence that we can show to policymakers and insurance companies and, and sort of answer all those questions and, and we hope catalyze change. Claytel explained the Rockefeller Foundation, Kroger, and the American Heart Association are finalizing the platform design and hope to fully launch the initiative this spring, after which point, she says, she hopes to welcome additional partners to the platform. We are anticipating that we're going to add a number of additional partners to the platform. We've had some great discussions with a number of organizations over the last couple of months. I can't show those names quite yet, but I can say that you know we're continuing to talk to both leaders in the food space um, and the food sector sort of broadly and also in the health sector. So I anticipate that we will have additional partners from, from both of those sectors. And then we are also working quite closely with the academic community, as you can imagine, given the research focus, and the nonprofit community um, who, as we were discussing earlier in this conversation, have for many years kind of operated these programs at a community level. Um, so I do anticipate that we'll have some new partners that we can announce in the spring. 
Um, and I should also say that we are also in touch with um, leaders on the public side of this space. So leaders from you know, some of the federal and state agencies that are doing this work um, and or that, um, uh, that are interested in doing this work and might not be doing it. Um, and so we're really trying to build a set of partners that represents a public-private partnership around this opportunity. In terms of listeners that are interested in getting involved, I think we'll have much more opportunity for that um, when, when we officially launch um, the effort in April. Um, but I would say if you're looking to learn more, you can also go to the Rockefeller Foundation website and read a little bit more about this effort. And as we have updates to share, um, that's where we'll be sharing the updates publicly. Claytel also encourages entrepreneurs and startups in the food space who are interested in promoting food as medicine, but maybe don't have the bandwidth or the resources to work with the Rockefeller Foundation to still get involved by reaching out to the local health systems and community organizations in their area to learn and build connections. Johnson added entrepreneurs and startups also can help by learning what types of healthy foods consumers in their communities want or are open to trying and educating about the nutritional value of different foods and the benefits of a healthy diet, as well as generating their own research. Each additional data point helps. Reaching out to local healthcare partners is a really good start, and also digging up the evidence that does exist. A lot of research and studies that have been done already on, on produce prescriptions and medically tailored meals, and this community of practice has learned a lot about implementation science and you know, what works and doesn't work in certain communities. And so thinking about you know, redemption method, how, how participants can shop for foods and what's convenient to them, what helps to avoid stigma in using a nutrition incentive program, um, things like reloadable debit cards um, and improving functionality at self-checkout lines, things like that can really uh, help a program succeed. Also thinking about produce type, what kinds of foods are offered in a food as medicine intervention is really important and population specific. And so going deeper and thinking about what are the range of healthy food options that can be provided with uh, a medically tailored meal or with medically tailored groceries. And then nutrition education. Um, we know these programs work really well when they're bundled with uh, intensive and targeted nutrition education. So thinking about how we can include counseling and culinary education and and culturally relevant recipes together with the programming would really strengthen any kind of program that these businesses are considering uh, launching. Finally, industry stakeholders, large and small, can learn more about the impact of the current food system, including the impact on the health of humans and the planet, by checking out the Rockefeller Foundation's recently published report, The True Cost of Food, Measuring What Matters to Transform the U.S. Food System, which is available at RockefellerFoundation.org. With that, we've reached the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join me again next week for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.